Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. I'm Tim Manzer, and we're in Traverse City, Michigan. I'm sitting in the living room of the house he and his wife built. Tim sits next to me on the couch. He's a little stiff, almost like he has to hold his whole body in the seated position. Tim has a goatee and a mustache, salt and pepper hair. He's 58. Actually, just 58. His birthday was the 28th of August, or yesterday, if you're listening to the episode on the day of its release. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Glad I made it to it, yeah. <laughs> I want to start today's story just outside of Tim's house. He lives on a small dead-end street where the houses are pretty spread out. There's undeveloped land all around them with woods, streams, ponds. It's all very green, a little wild. And I want to start here because it's the site of a revelation for Tim. Something that completely changed the way he viewed himself, his own limits, and everything that he thought he could or couldn't do. So out in my yard here, I have a a small little apple orchard. And I had a, a year, just like this year, where a frost came late and took the apples out. He grows apples to feed the deer. So I'm, I'm trimming the tree, going slowly backwards, and, and literally bump my head on this big paper wasp nest. There's one in my tree, but I didn't see it. And they're black, like wasp things inside of this one, and they jump out on my head, and they're stinging me. And I, I take off running, and um, they don't give up. They're after me. And I'm zigzagging across my yard and over in the neighbor's yard. He has 10 or so wasp stings and counting. Eventually they give up on me and I come back to my porch and I'm like, <sighs> and the first thought in my brain is, you can run. You can run. You just need the right motivation, but you can run. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. On each episode of Human Race, we tell stories about runners and the world of running. This week, Tim Manzer. In Tim's 20s, he had sworn off running forever. Then, in middle age, it didn't matter if he swore it off, because running wasn't something his body was supposed to be able to do. Tim's is an unbelievable tale. It has a summer camp, a motorcycle club, poop, and wasps, of course. Oh, and there's a little love, too.
he always has crazy things that happen to him, good and bad. It's like if it's Tim, you always know there's going to be a story no matter where he goes. This is Kim Manzer of Tim and Kim. Before Kim knew Tim personally, she knew of him. They went to the same college in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She was two years behind him. It's like we would never have dated in college. We were totally, I was the RA, followed the rules. He was the rule breaker, crazy Tim. So even when people found out we were dating, they're like, you're dating Tim Manzer? I said, oh, there's some good things about him. We didn't know <laughs> that we didn't realize at school. So <laughs> I, I, I've lost this ability, but I used to be a really good climber. And you name it, I could climb it. And so in the college, they had these poles in the middle of the cafeteria. And I could just grab a pole, climb to the top of the the, uh, the cafeteria, spin around, make monkey sounds, slide back down. And, and I would do that because uh, I was that person, you know. And so I didn't have the best reputation among students there. But Tim and Kim didn't meet at school. They met at a summer camp about half an hour outside of Traverse City. Tim was a wilderness instructor, and Kim was a camp counselor. So when he came to work at Lake Ann Camp, I'm like, what is Tim Manzer coming to work at Lake Ann for? Because I'd worked there the summer before, and so, yeah. She thought they only hired nice people. (laughs) (laughs) You're crazy. He just does crazy things. And we had a fire at the campsite, and I tend to wink a lot. And it's not a flirtatious wink, it's just an acknowledgement. And he's talking, I must have winked at him, and he winked back, and I went, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I winked at him. <laughs> I was somewhat horrified. <laughs> okay, one story. There's a long pause as Kim realizes what story Tim is about to tell. She's a little hesitant about it, but he powers through. <laughs> Another trip in the summer and we're leading uh, people on a canoe trip now. And we're on the banks and there's these little wild apple trees and we are throwing apples at Kim, but we're missing. We didn't know she played softball, like in high school and college, and she is hitting us. She's pounding us, right, with it. And, And we're like, our manhood is just being devastated by her arm. And so, we decide to throw her in the Betsy River. Tim and his friend run at her. She's holding on to the tree. She grabs my head and smashes it into the tree, and I get knocked out. <laughs> that did happen, but it was not on purpose. I was not going to go into the Platte River, and I don't know why, but I did. I, my arm went around his neck, and the force just... So that was very embarrassing. It's not very ladylike, you know, but I did not go into the water. <laughs> I have three brothers that have never been hit that hard. And so I woke up and I was married. See, that's what he says. He just woke <laughs> up and he was married. <laughs> they were married less than a year later. Always a story, see? <laughs> we have lots of stories. <laughs> well, I guess you knew what you were getting into. I did. I did. Tim used to mountain climb, dirt bike, taught motocross. He once put a crash helmet on, this was in front of Kim, and rode a raft over a 20-foot waterfall. If it sounded like fun, Tim would do it. But for most of his adult life, running was not on that list. He ran cross-country in high school and college. And when I was finished college, I so hated running that I told myself I'd never run in again in my life. 
because I, I really burnt out on running because I was like the number five runner, the one that was the, the scored, but he always scored the worst. And I'm like, I hate running. So I quit, literally graduated, stopped running. This was long, long before the wasp incident in their little orchard out front. It would take Tim decades to realize he could run again. But first, something sudden and terrible happens that threatens to take away not just Tim's ability to run, but everything he holds dear. That's after the break. Sunday afternoon rides where like my driveway would fill up with like 10 other motorcycles and we'd all take off and go get some ice cream or goof around together. We did those kind of things. It was kind of a social thing for me. When Tim was in his late 30s, he became friends with some bikers. Next thing you know, I'm I'm riding with a friend in the Harley Club in Traverse City. <laughs> That's a, it's kind of like a accidental progression, nothing very intentional, but just, yeah, I'll do that. Tim bought a 1979 Honda Goldwing. He loved it. it when you would hit the accelerator, you'd be gone. I mean, that, that kind of a bike. He didn't own a Harley, but when he went out with the club, a friend let him borrow one. I, I liked it because uh, the motor was so loud, and when I let off the accelerator, it would go... <laughs> they were fun. And you know by now, fun is Tim's weakness. And in his bike friends, he found a really tight-knit community. For instance, when Tim's son turned 16, the group took him out for a special birthday ride. Motorcycles were the connective tissue, but the bond was deeper than that. Kim did worry about Tim sometimes. I've never been in favor of the motorcycle just because of accidents. I just think people are so distracted when they're driving, so I never liked that he was riding them to begin with. And it didn't help that Tim being Tim, he had some pretty memorable and kind of terrifying stories. I'm out in a little town near here called Kingsley, and I come around a corner, and there's a family of about four skunks in the row, mama and babies, and they split in every direction, making it impossible not to get close to one of them. And I'm slamming on my brakes while on my motorcycle. I got this great big motorcycle trying not to hit a skunk. And then they start shooting. <laughs> and then I go completely blind because they somebody nailed me in the face. Yeah, one of those skunks did. And my eyes are watering and, and, and I am just skunked. And I have to literally stop my motorcycle and sit on the side of the road and catch my breath and try to be able to see again. <laughs> that skunk took me down. <laughs> Tim wore only a small helmet, so his face was exposed. He expected muck from the road and bugs in his face, but he never imagined that he'd get skunked. For as funny as it is now, it could have actually been a really dangerous situation. The surprise of it, little vision. But Tim saw this as proof of his ability to navigate obstacles on the road. His ability to keep himself safe, whether it be a careless driver or a surfeit of skunks. Tim's got one other insane motorcycle story. And this one is the one that Kim was worried about. I had uh, 
gotten my motorcycle out on a beautiful Saturday morning and ridden it to a Crystal Mountain ski hill to do an outdoor wedding rehearsal. He was officiating the wedding. And uh, <laughs> my mind was, well, if I'm going to do a wedding today, at least I get a ride on my motorcycle. And uh, so I, I was coming back from the rehearsal. and got, it, So it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And then I saw the flash of blue. I mean, it was the loudest noise of my life. I never broke. I, 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 uh, I slammed into the, the car at full speed, uh, hitting it right into the doorpost. So I, I came off my motorcycle and landed on her windshield. And, and then I flew up in the air, hit the roof of the car, and then flew off the back of the car and hit the ground. Um, when I hit the ground, I wasn't knocked out. So, the, well, the first thought in my brain was, that was bad. That was really bad. And then the second thought was, if I find my hand, maybe they can put it back on. And I began to try to move around to find my hand. And as illogical it is, that's what you're doing in that moment. Tim's hand wasn't severed, but he couldn't find it because the bones had snapped, a full compound break. And so his hand was just hanging limp behind his forearm, like fishing line below a fishing pole. And and, um, and then I realized I wasn't breathing. And then I realized I was dead. There's no way I'm living. And um, I just prayed a prayer, dear God, take care of my family. And I was gone. I didn't even uh, come to till I woke up for a short time in CAT scan and, you know, where this x-ray tech is talking to me and he says, Tim, Tim, you've been in a terrible accident. It looks like everything's broken. We you can't give you nothing for your pain. You're going right into surgery. And then I was gone again for a long time, for days after that. Tim's body was just pulverized. Uh, my sternum had broken, ribs one and two had broken. Rib one had poked holes in my lung. Which is why he stopped breathing. So unbeknownst to me, I had done a lot of damage to myself. I had broken my left arm in six places. I had broken my shoulder, broken my right arm, um, and it had a full compound break. So it had snapped off and uh, I had uh, injured my heart where the rivet just touched it, fortunately it had punctured it, and, but it, it, it had affected my heart. I had ruptured my bladder, broken my pelvis into three separate parts, and I had smashed the left leg to the point that I needed a fixator, an external fixator in it for eight months. The driver was having an argument on her cell phone, and she didn't see the stop sign ahead. The oncoming traffic had the right away, and when she finally realized she needed to stop, instead of slamming on her brakes, she slammed on the gas instead, hoping to make it through the intersection and miss Tim's motorcycle. Tim didn't have a stop sign in front of him, so he didn't slow down. He never even saw her coming. The driver was covered in blood, but she was actually fine. The blood that covered her, it was Tim's. And you don't normally live through a full-speed T-bone collision on a motorcycle. But I, here I am. Yeah. And that's thanks to a man who witnessed the accident. He was on his way to teach a fire safety class when he saw the collision. So he pulled up to Tim, 
grabbed some medical supplies that thankfully he had in his trunk. He intubated Tim, meaning he stuck a flexible tube down Tim's throat and breathed for him. He called the helicopter. He even took the phone out of Tim's pocket, found Kim's number, called her and told her what happened. Tim spent only two weeks in the hospital. And that's not because he was doing well. That's because his risk of infection was high. And being around so many sick people could have been a really serious problem for him. When I first came home from the hospital, I couldn't sit up. I couldn't roll over in bed. My hands didn't work. I had to be fed. had to be bathed. Somebody had to help me go to the bathroom. Literally couldn't do anything for myself. Because their house had lots of stairs, Tim was on a hospital bed on the ground floor in their living room. Kim strung up clothesline around him and hung curtains to give him a little privacy. And, uh, so that, nights were the worst because you're just not sleeping and you're just stuck there, depressed. That's it, darkest where you're hearing the voice, you know, just... The... Of despair, hopeless, it's mm-hmm. not going to work out. You're just, and you're just waiting for morning, you know, and stuff to, to come. And morning comes, you still can't sit up, you still can't roll over, you can't, still can't do anything for yourself, but at least somebody's there. Yeah. It was almost like an attachment that he created, like a toddler does, that they don't want to be away from their mom. Sometimes they go through that little period... So it was really scary for him if I wasn't available for something, you know, for someone else to care, you know. So I wouldn't, you know, sometimes someone would come and sit with him and I'd run and do errands and that. Um, but most of the time he'd come shopping with me. <laughs> you just have to sit in the wheelchair. And then if you had to go use the bathroom, and I'd have to take him in the woman's bathroom and I'd try to make sure no one was in there. There was times I argue with God, it would have been better to be dead. This was not a way to live. But I'm so thankful I'm alive. Yeah, and she loved me back to life. There's just no other way about it. I, I lost everything. You know, they, my family and my wife, Kim, they loved me back to life. One year and one month after his accident, Tim finally began to walk again. I had a doctor tell me, uh, Tim... I knew you'd walk again. He was kind of rejoicing to see me walk in. Well, it was an orthopedic surgeon. He said, but you, he literally said, but, but you'll probably never run again. That surgeon's warning stuck in his brain. Tim may have been walking, but he was not out of the weeds yet. What life looked like after his body was rebuilt? That's after the break. Just about a year after his accident, Tim started walking again. His body was still a mess. The things he couldn't do far outnumbered the things he could. And about the time you get better, <laughs> and then you have to have another surgery. And then you, you just kind of like, and this went on for years. I had two surgeries on my hands last year. Getting back on a motorcycle was just out of the question. Like my wife says, she wiped my butt for eight months. No more motorcycles for you. So <laughs> can't argue with the facts. But by making the decision not to get on his motorcycle again, Tim suffered another loss. The loss of that tight-knit community. There's a few of them that viewed me as kind of a recovery failure. 
uh, in, in the sense that a full recovery would be to get back on your motorcycle and ride again. And I didn't do that. I, uh, I chose not to do that. Tim was eager to regain some normalcy. I started to try to retrieve things like my job and other stuff because I had been gone for over a year from my job. He slowed down. First out of necessity and then out of habit. And I mean, he had good reason. His body really hurt. So he tried to avoid as much of his pain as he could. And for Tim, that meant staying sedentary. Barely any walking, no hiking, no biking, definitely no running. Tim's accident happened in 2002. Eight years later... 2010. (laughs) It's like another one of those moments that you'll remember. I'm doing pre-marriage counseling for this nice young couple, and my head is hurting, my shoulder is hurting, my arm is hurting, my chest is hurting, and I'm noticing that my vision's going. And I'm like, that's not good. The couple keeps talking and talking, and Tim is just dying for them to finish so he can leave and try to figure out what's going on with him. Despite his worsening vision problems, Tim drove himself to the hospital. It went into the emergency room, and if you want to get attention really fast, describe my symptoms to them. And they're like, ah! <laughs> Next thing you know, I find myself in the heart center for over a week. I failed a stress test. I had to have heart catheterization. And a doctor came in to me and sat me down. After all that, he said, Tim, you need to lose weight. You need to stop eating like a teenager. And he said, uh, you're a preacher, right? Preach to yourself. You are the problem. And he was right. That was the second crash, 2010. It forced him to reflect on his life, how his chronic pain had stopped him from moving, how he was up to 257 pounds. I mean, these things he knew, but what he didn't realize is the way that he had remade his life after the crash. It set him up for a second one. And this time it was self-inflicted. So I changed everything just overnight, just started taking care of myself, eating better, going on walks, hiking, restoring my life in, in a much better way, bringing balance back to it. Almost immediately he saw changes. I, um, you know, I, I went from 257 right away to like 240. That's like, I mean, 17 pounds is like, suddenly you feel like free and then suddenly you go into 230 and then and then 200, and, you know, it just keeps going down to 190. And, and, and each one is a release to something new and freer, yeah. Kim read an article about managing arthritic pain and she showed it to Tim. I realized that I was making every arthritic pain mistake there was. And one is it, it hurts, you don't move. Tim learned that low-grade exercise instead of aggravating arthritic pain, it can actually improve it. And then I started walking and riding an exercise bike. and Then, in 2010... Uh, got a pear tree in the front and then that I planted, and then apple trees that were here that are probably older than anything you can imagine. And so I was just back here in the back trimming when I bumped my head into a... right into a wasp nest. And you know what happens here. Tim takes off. And, uh, and then eventually they left me alone and I came back to the porch. And then I thought, wait, I can run. The next day, Tim puts on some tennis shoes and shorts. 
didn't have the right motivation. He made it to his neighbor's mailbox, which is really just like a couple of car lengths. But I worked on it that uh, fall. I actually ran my first 5K with my daughter. I ran with my daughter, my brother, and my nephew. I called them all up and said, I'm going to run a 5K and I'm not going to stop. And they all joined me and ran the whole thing with me. Tim made some running buddies. He joined the Sub 30 group online, which encourages runners through training to complete a 5K race in under 30 minutes. One of those running buddies Tim met, he convinced him to join the local running club, the Traverse City Track Club. And with help from his new community and some appropriate running shoes, his 5K times fell and fell until he was regularly running Sub 30s. I mean, it's just totally crazy that somebody with a body that was as severely broken as Tim's could run. The craziest thing is... Running is oftentimes the only time I have no pain. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, th th that's another friend that way because I, I, like, I have lots of nerve pain in the left leg and in the ankle and in the hips and, and especially in my hands. And so uh, for whatever reason... I've discovered that I go out for a short run or whatever, I can get rid of the pain. It's if I'm really hurting, I don't stay in bed, I, I get up and go do something. That's amazing. Were you surprised that your body could do it? Super surprised. Now, every once in a while, my body would give me a surprise when I run, and it still will do that because uh, I broke my pelvis and uh, there's a spot where it never will connect in again in my life. So when I was running for a while, I, I would run just fine. And then when I would stop, it would feel like somebody kicked me in the butt. And so and it would literally feel like I got kicked really hard. When Tim runs, he has to be fully engaged in what he's doing. Since the accident, his balance is a little wonky. Even to this day when I run, it's my right lung that has the holes in it. So if you run with me, it'll say, that guy sounds a little bit like a freight train, you know. <laughs> he has to pay full attention to every step, every breath, every swing of his arms, which means no podcasts and no music. When he's out running, he exists only in the present. So it, it, what it does is it completely cleanses my mind. There's, there's, there's nothing there but what I'm experiencing. Yeah, I have to pay attention to it, which I think is part of the beauty of it. Emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually, it's been a blessing to me. Tim found a way to be with nature, a way to de-stress after tough days, a community, all things he thought he'd lost when he gave up motorcycles. He found again in running. This year is the 15th anniversary of Tim's accident, and he made some really big goals. He signed up to run his first ever half marathon. Did you know that you could do it? Did I know I could do it? I had so much doubt even before it. I don't, you know, your mind plays tricks with you. Even if you would have asked me, uh, could I do it like the day before, I wouldn't have given you a good answer. But on that momentous day, Tim's runner friends were there to support him through it. I had two people running with me that run far better than me, far better. But they ran my pace and ran with me. You know, just because they love me. That was special. <laughs> Sorry to be crying, but yeah, it just, it was, that was just what friends do, you know? 
In Tim's first email to me, he said that finding the running community, and specifically the Traverse City Track Club, finding them was particularly meaningful because the club saw him in a different way than he saw himself. He wrote that, to them, he wasn't this messed up guy, the guy who had a gnarly motorcycle accident. They saw him as a friend. The half marathon was earlier this summer, but August 3rd was the actual 15th anniversary. Tim, of course, planned a run to commemorate it. Some friends went with him, including Tim's daughter-in-law and also his son's dog, Bentley. Tim runs with Bentley a lot. One runner friend was there. Her son had recently gotten into an accident that left him paralyzed. And she ran next to Tim for hope. And all of them, they ran a 5K on one of Tim's favorite running trails. At the halfway point, there's this bench that overlooks Traverse City. You can see all these tree-lined streets and pretty trails. They have Tim's footprints all over them. And that's pretty remarkable. I crashed hard. It was time to uh, fall in love with a different Tim. Yeah. This episode was produced by me, Rachel Swaby, with editing help from Brian Dalek. Our theme music is by Danny Koch. Human Race is a proud part of Panoply. If you're interested in the Sub-30 group that Tim joined, you can hear more about it in episode 36 of the Runner's World show. Go check it out. See pictures of Tim and Kim at runnersworld.com audio. That's runnersworld.com audio. Human Race will be back in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>